What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain episode 273. Today, we have a couple awesome guests, Dr. Ivan Damgard and Brian Gallagher of the Particia Blockchain Foundation to talk about um, how they are taking on um, privacy, scalability, interoperability, and their unique way about going about it in the blockchain ecosystem. Guys, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Brandon. Um, just to kick it off, let's do a couple introductions by each of you, if you don't mind. Um, I don't know who wants to go first, but give me a little bit about your background and story and you know how you guys kind of wound up in this wonderful world of crypto and blockchain. Yeah, so I guess I'm in day to day life. I'm a professor at, at computer science at Aarhus University. And then um, Patricia originally was actually a spin off from Aarhus University. Um, I was uh, fortunate and, and you know, to be in the right place at the right time uh, when research into this thing called multiparty computation IPC started back in the 80s and sort of saw that all the way through from theory to practical applications. And, and we founded Patricia originally uh, as a way to uh, commercialize MPC. And then actually much later, we found out that, that uh, blockchain and MPC is actually more or less a match made in heaven. And, and so the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. Uh, as for myself, I'm Brian Gallagher. I'm one of the uh, other co-founders of Partesia Blockchain. Um, my background has always been in startups. So my first company was called UndergroundSeller.com. It's a wine e-commerce marketplace in the United States. Uh, we were funded by Y Combinator in 2015. And coincidentally, while I was in the program, Coinbase had received their $100 million investment round from the New York Stock Exchange. I had been tracking blockchain, particularly Bitcoin, closely since the beginning. This was the time when I decided this is really real. Um, you know, when you see that type of validation, New York Stock Exchange making an equity investment in the big crypto exchange. So I became much more involved, started buying into Bitcoin and Ethereum came out. I saw um, opportunity in Web3 for uh, creating data exchanges where users could secure their data um, on their devices rather than always relying on central servers like Facebook and Google. And then ways to create sort of cryptographic protocols where they can permission the use of their data in exchange for you know, monetary reward, cryptocurrency, using smart contracts on blockchains. So when we were doing our research, we discovered MPC would be a potential viable technology uh, to use alongside a blockchain to do what I just described. And so that's how we sort of found Partija, who was the sort of pioneers and leading MPC researchers and developers. So when we came together around this first use case, we had decided we're gonna do a layer one in the long run. So this was about 2017, 18. And so we designed and started architecting the solution all the way back then. And now it's actually fully developed and um, on the market and going live. So it's kind of, it's been quite a journey. And so here we are today. Excellent. Uh, so guys, tell me a bit about Particia. Um, what, what does Particia, you know, stand for? And what's the mission that you guys want to kind of accomplish with this blockchain and with this foundation? 
Yeah, so maybe I think Ivan can sort of give the vision of MPC and Partesia from the beginning of what can this incredible technology unlock. And then I can speak a bit more after that to the vision of how does it be applied to this layer one blockchain to solve the current industry issues. Sure. Go for it, Ivan. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, so I guess um, we're all used to thinking about cryptography as a, as a technology that allows you to protect data while they're being sent from A to B or while they're being stored. Uh, but MPC is a technology which, which can protect data even while you computer. Which at first sounds a little bit counterintuitive. I mean, how's that possible? But but you can actually compute on data while they are encrypted, and what that means then is that, that what gets revealed at the end of the day is only the results they actually wanted to reveal. So what that means is that you can have uh, several different parties who have private data contribute that data to the system, have it be processed, and 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 contribute some result that that, that everybody's interested in. But the privacy of your data is still a guarantee. Um, so that's the big difference between NPC and, and zero knowledge because zero knowledge, as you heard about, is only about um, data that comes from one party. So I can have some private data and convince the world that, that you know, my data satisfies a certain property, like you know, my account was not overspent or something like this. But NPC is much more general and powerful because you can you know, really join data from different sources. And this opens the door to a whole bunch of different uh, use cases, as I'm sure Brian can talk about. Um, and then blockchain, together with this, allows you to solve some of many coordination issues that you need to solve if you really want to execute increase. Because it requires coordination between different parties, collaboration, and, and doing this and making sure everybody gets paid the way they should and everything. That's exactly what blockchain can help you do. Awesome. Yeah. Brian. You want to highlight some of the maybe use cases of, of how that's being applied. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we we basically have architected a full layer one plus two solution is how we refer to it. So on the layer one side, we have a fully robust blockchain. We use sharding uh, to have a scalable blockchain. It allows you to finalize transactions in parallel rather than just creating a long backlog in one queue of transactions like we've seen on you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum networks. Um, and then we have the private smart contracts, uh, which allow you to coordinate um, you know, on private data, as Ivan alluded to. And um, essentially, this unlocks like incredible use cases because you could have, for example, a patient healthcare network where data obviously can't be visualized or seen. It needs to be very private and to the patient, um, you know, where it's in their control. Uh, and basically you could do things now like detect matches in large pools of data for users that may fit a certain demographic or um, health condition. And then you can use this matching engine to then allow the user to permission the use of some information or data. In an advertising network, you can imagine that, you know, Google or Facebook has everyone's information essentially that they've been able to yield over time as a user uses their network. And then when an advertiser places an ad request towards a specific demographic, they're able to match it to their existing user base and display that ad to you. 
In the future, we foresee that the user's data and all of this information will actually accumulate and save on their device. So you can imagine you're using an Android, you're searching the web, all of the information about yourself is actually saving locally in an encrypted format. And then you're able to use these MPC protocols or other forms of advanced cryptography like garbled circuits, for example, to put a request out, like I want to place this, I'm Coca-Cola, I want to place an advertisement onto this blockchain network. You want to connect with their wallet, for example, to a smart contract network would open themselves up to be matched using these engines. So you don't need to have all the data stored in one place anymore. It can be locally on people's devices. And then if you're a user, you could see, hey, Coca-Cola wants to show you this ad, or they want you to take this survey, because you have detected a match amongst your encrypted data, and then you could accept it. There could be an exchange of information and value, so you could earn a crypto payment. You could send the survey answers to the other end users. So this is how decentralization we visualize to tackle these major use cases like advertising, um, you know, internet search, and how do you take away all the collection of data into one repository and allow each user to be collecting their data on themselves and then permission it. And so it's a long roadmap to this future, but that's how we utilize the protocols and the blockchain together in order to accomplish those big use cases. Yeah, that's awesome. On, you know, your very long roadmap that you guys are working through, where do you feel you guys are at in terms of having applied some of these real world use cases through Particia? Like, do you, have you guys had partnerships? Have you um, had a bunch of applications deployed or where are you guys at so far? Yeah, so the main net of everything I just described launched in June 1st. So now the applications and developer program is starting to take off. So at Singapore Token 2049 on September 29th, we're going to be on stage and running a press conference to announce some of the big flagship applications. One of them is a private stablecoin network that will rest in a you know, secret smart contract. Uh, and it's going to be deployed by one of the world's most famous NGOs who is going to start issuing aid, economic aid in the form of QR codes instead of cash. So this is a major innovation on an industry that, you know, gives tens of billions of dollars a year out in aid and it's in cash. And unfortunately, a very high amount of that gets lost to fraud or it's just unable to be tracked through the supply chain. What happens when you deliver aid into crisis zones in the form of cash? It just kind of gets lost, you know. And so by updating this infrastructure into a private, you know, NPC powered smart contract, they're able to hand out QR codes to the beneficiaries. Those beneficiaries can then transact locally with smartphones using their private stable coin that they've deployed inside the smart contract. And the beneficiary's privacy is protected because the general public can't track the funds, but the NGO who deploys the smart contract has auditability and insight into the private smart contract. So they can work with regulators to ensure that there's you know, no fraud or money laundering happening inside of these private smart contracts. So we see this as a huge innovation on a major use case. So that's just one. Another one is like trade finance, the ability to coordinate lending on trade deals, and then the actual movement of goods in a supply chain without jeopardizing who you are as a vendor and letting your entire supply chain be reverse engineered. 
Uh, so, you know, we're kind of updating our branding that this blockchain and privacy preserving technology is able to come together to solve major economic and social problems. And just those two problems alone are tens of billions of dollars a year in aid that can get delivered through QR codes instead of cash. And then trade finance lending, there's $2 trillion a year that is in the trade finance gap that doesn't, uh, is unable to be lent each year uh, that you can open up to the general DeFi community and let them start to participate. So those are just two big ones to give you an idea. Awesome. That sounds really cool. Um, in, in terms of, so I was on the website and I noticed that you guys in Particia really operates around this term distributed trust. Um, really curious to what that means for you guys, how that factors into the consensus method that Particia uses, and then how that separates from popular consensus methods uh, for other popular blockchains. Maybe Ivan wants to start with that yeah. one. So, so the, the major, um, I guess, meaning of, of distributed trust is that if you have a bunch of different parties that collaborate on, on doing computation on private data, um, then uh, you want to strike the right balance between how, how good you, how well you protect privacy on one hand, and on the other hand, how reliable the system is, how likely is it that, that, that things crash and we, we, we're not able to deliver results. Um, so, so the way we, we handle this is, is you can set up systems in such a way, let's say in one extreme, um, you have a system where privacy cannot be broken. Uh, unless everybody is broken into, unless everybody is, is taken over by a hacker, let's say. Um, so that, that's the trust only yourself scenario, right? I mean, if I go into a system like this, I know my data is protected just as long as my, uh, as I myself is trustworthy, if you, if you like. Uh, I don't have to trust anyone else. Um, so on the other hand, you can also have a situation where you say, we select a bunch of agents that, that we believe are trustworthy to the extent that we think that a majority of them can be relied upon. As long as we leave this, we can be sure, one, that the system is, is, is not broken, no data are stolen. And on the other hand, we can be sure that the right result comes out. Um, so, so that's uh, you know, uh, another type of trade-off that we can implement. So we can basically have the whole spectrum, uh, whether you want to, to uh, have privacy be, be the most important thing in the world, or whether you want reliability you know, we, we do get the result out to be the most important thing. So that, that there's a whole spectrum that we can implement as one likes. Yeah, in terms of the security, uh, well, actually, other than just the security, what are some of the other maybe end results of using um, a, a proof of trust, POTS, and that's what it stands for. Um, yes, using, so yeah, using POT, uh, is it, you know, help scale? Uh, does it help with uh, the network in other ways? What are some of the other benefits? Yeah, so, so the major thing here, of course, is that you have to tr contrast this to, to um, so, so if, if you want to do some computation, let's say, uh, on private data, um, for instance, let, let, let's think about uh, you have some personal private data about different patients and hospitals. You want to bring all this together to do statistics on, on say, uh, lifestyle. How does that, uh, uh, how does that um, influence people's uh, sickness, for instance? Is, is there a collaboration between uh, a certain uh, illness and, and people's lifestyles, for instance? So uh, if we would send all this to one particular node and he'll do the statistics, then that's fine. Uh, we get the right result out. But of course, this, this is in fact illegal, uh, at least in many places in Europe where we have um, 
very tight rules for how you can handle personal data. Uh, so what we can do instead is we can distribute trust. So we can involve a whole bunch of different nodes that collaborate to do the computation. And the point now is that none of these nodes have access to the data. So uh, everything is encrypted on, 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 uh, during the whole process. Uh, and therefore, with distributed trust, we can actually give privacy guarantees that's impossible to, 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 to give if we only had uh, traditional computation. Got it. I also noticed that your guys' block time is really, really fast, and you also have implemented sharding as part of the process. Can you just touch on that a little bit as well and how that fits into the system? Well, so there, there, there's a very different... Um, method for generating consensus in the system. Um, this comes partly out of the fact that if we want to, to, to have, uh, to be able to offer multi-party conversation as a service, that means we really have to know who uh, many of the nodes are. We, it, 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 it's, a semi, it's a semi-permission system, we, we usually say. And that, that, that's obvious because we need to place some trust in the people who do the computation uh, that offer zero computation as a service so we, need, we, need, we must know who you are. And for that reason, we can also reliably select committees that will handle uh, consensus for us. So uh, therefore, we don't have to scale a consensus protocol with the entire universe of nodes. We can scale it with a smaller subset of nodes, essentially, uh, that is then selected uh, dynamically over time. Uh, and in this way, block time becomes much, much faster than traditional methods. Got it. Yeah, and just to build off that, Brandon, that relates directly to some industry trends that we're witnessing unfold right now, and you know it also is a benefit. So you could argue that, oh well, it's semi-permissioned, you know, that's not fully decentralized, etc., because you're letting the nodes kind of know each other. But if you look at the uh, you know proof-of-stake networks like just Ethereum after the merge what we've seen is that the nodes don't know who each other are and you're able to just delegate any your your stake to any node and so now the entire network is compromised you know just coinbase finance and one other entity control over 51 percent of all the nodes i mean that's a huge security centralization risk and so we foresaw that this type of entity aggregation could happen easily in a proof of stake network and it even already had happened in EOS and delegated proof of stake. Right off the bat, you saw the collusion of people delegating tokens to essentially them or their friends to control the top 21 of node operators. What we do is we force you to identify your node, not to us per se, to not confuse that. It's not to the foundation. We build a decentralized third-party verification network that is there to just ensure that you register your node and then you go through a process with third-party verification to ensure that you're not the same entity or individual operating another node. So we are actually more decentralized now than the Ethereum mainnet, not in number of nodes, but in making sure that each node is a true individual identity or entity. And uh, this is just a major uh, industry issue now we're seeing is proof of stake that we foresaw years ago, and this is another benefit of addressing it this way beyond just scalability. It's also addressing decentralization. 
Yeah, I've heard this point a few times from a few different people. Um, you know, in your guys' opinion with, you know, where Particia stands, you know, in the global you know, blockchain ecosystem, um, how much concern do you have that, you know, major chains and node operators and companies and exchanges have started to lean in to decentralization a little bit to kind of fix some of these problems? Like, is this a big concern for the industry and maybe that um, leaves people more exposed, less security, less privacy, less control of data in the end? Um, or is this, you know, maybe a short term thing that's happening with a couple blockchains? What, what do you guys feel about overall? Sounds like a question for Brian, I think. Um, I mean, there is a major inflection point in the industry right now. Um, as someone who's been eyeing this since the way beginning, you know, I downloaded the original Bitcoin wallet, I think it was in 2009. And there was no exchange. It was truly peer to peer in that you had to coordinate on a forum with someone to directly interact with each other. And so the whole vision was for peer to peer. Now we see most people hold Bitcoin in custodians or centralized exchanges. You know, it's proof of work and Bitcoin was just called out in a White House white paper a couple of days ago as something they're monitoring and they may even try to shut down for environmental concerns. And then you've got the proof of stake networks being completely centralized to the top exchanges where they could just change things in the protocol right now if they chose to. And, you know, this is uh, it's a major inflection point because then there's other solutions that have sort of foreseen these issues, such as uh, Partesia blockchain. Proof of work is an environmental issue. So we're trying to look ahead and, you know, design something that is much more environmentally friendly and you know, uh, feasible in the long run. And then it's also, well, how do you avoid a proof of stake network being completely centralized? And so you know, protocols like ours thought through these issues and addressed them, but there's a lot of work to do to see about the adoption. Um, you know, we do have some of the best technology, but we're just coming to the market, so it's super early. You know, we also need to have use cases that really stick and appeal to the masses and enterprise to carry over a use case that can drive the entire chain. And it was ICOs in 2016-17 that drove Ethereum from a different type of, of network than just money, like Bitcoin. Uh, then it was, you know, kind of dying. And then all of a sudden DeFi and lending kind of popped up and usage really took off again. And then that was getting flaky. And then NFTs happened to luckily pop off right after to keep this interest level growing and, and you know consumer adoption, but we're entering a different territory now. So networks are gonna to need to be able to do things like bring traditional economy use cases and just traditional economies is a better way to say it, onto blockchain. So can you really open lending on a blockchain for trade finance? I mean, like I said, there's $2 trillion a year that's in a gap. If you can successfully do something like that, your blockchain is gonna be massive. And that is the future, you know, bringing traditional lending is so limited in trade finance to big bankers and specialized investment groups that small and medium enterprise can't get lending on trade deals. Two trillion years missing. Can a smart contract and public cryptocurrency fill that gap? I think the answer is yes. But that's where the next wave needs to go because... It's, uh, it's getting questionable if the initial use cases are going to be permitted 
uh, in a way or be able to survive because of decentralization where they don't need to be permitted. But that's flaky. You know, the governments are sanctioning smart contracts like Tornado Cash. You can sanction a Bitcoin public key just as easily. So, you know, there's laws in the books that exist that the industry can't just go off on its own and create completely anonymous DeFi networks. It's going to be a big battle. Yeah, it kind of leads into something you were mentioning before we hopped on the episode about changes in jurisdictions for, um, I don't know if it was from transactions or nodes, uh, but did you want to touch on that as well? I feel like it plays in here. Yeah, it totally does. So we kind of coined a term called jurisdiction management, and it's in relation to the smart contracts and nodes. So if you are a smart contract developer deploying a smart contract, we're seeing the next trend, which is based on where those transactions are processed, who is the node processing said transaction? Uh, you're coming up with this issue where uh, a transaction may be processed in a jurisdiction that you don't want uh, because of certain rules or regulations that exist there, but maybe not in your home jurisdiction. So we also foresee in the near future, and we've built this you know, capability for our blockchain, for, uh, for application smart contract developers to deploy smart contracts, but limit the nodes that it can communicate with so that it doesn't process through a certain transaction. And coincidentally, again, in the last week, we saw the SEC declare that they may claim jurisdiction over all the ETH transactions because over half of them happen in the United States. So. These are all super relative regulatory issues coming to market right now. And, uh, you know, we foresaw this, we built it in, but it's going to be another big outstanding issue that networks are going to have to adapt to. So we kind of put ourselves in a position where we're right here and already have planned for this. But what's going to happen for the other networks, you know, like Ethereum, where it's now centralized in majority U.S., it's gonna, it could cause developers and node operators a big problem. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, both concerning and fascinating at the same time. Ivan, go ahead. Yeah, I had a, a supplementary remark there because the, the, the underlying technology that we use a lot in NPC, um, it's important to say that that's not a technology that hides everything. Rather, it's a technology that allows you to, to control and decide exactly what is released. And what that means is that um, if you have an application where some, some private data is being processed, stuff is being produced. Um, if some regulator would come in and say, you can't do this unless we get some transparency here, then the system can always be reassigned in such a way that they, that they get to know what they need to know to allow the thing to happen. Um, so the technology is completely agnostic to that in some sense, right? That, that, that you know, we can just assign it anything you'd like to design. So in that way, we're kind of prepared for anything. Uh, that might happen in the future on, on the regulatory uh, side of this. So, yeah, absolutely. The regulatory side is going to be really interesting to see play out, especially in the U.S. because SEC is trying to claim jurisdiction over just about everything in the space. Um, it's, something's either going to happen or get shot down or we're going to get a law or something. It's Something's going to play out relatively soon. Um, before we start to wrap up, we got like another couple minutes. What I know you guys have some things that you'll probably announce uh, relatively soon that you don't want to let out yet. But in terms of what's publicly there on your roadmap, what are you guys most excited for that you want people to keep in mind that might be coming up either um, later this year or early into next year that you feel is relevant? It could be technical. It could be 
um, some kind of deployment. Um, what, what do you guys want people to, to highlight? Yeah, so from the community side of things, I'm most excited for the developer program that just launched, and we're going to give more details in Singapore. But essentially, um, you know, we're giving out grants uh, during the remainder of this year. So we're going to have a hackathon in person in Paris at the beginning of December. And, you know, Ivan will be there. I'll be there. A few of the other top teammates on the cryptography side, as well as the development side, we're all going to be there. So that's going to be kind of our big sort of first in-person community event um, to celebrate the mainnet and the different development and use cases. And, you know, a few that I named during the call are in development already. And for the new people joining, they can already start developing. And for me, it's about seeing the real use cases coming onto the chain and then also meeting the community in person at this cool event. So that's what I'm most excited about. I guess I'd say I'm, I'm really excited about uh, working on this on this use case that, that Brian mentioned before about the NDO that, that you know would be able to to issue uh, help to to beneficiaries not in the form of cash but in the form of, of, of uh, QID codes and so on. Uh, and the technology behind this is actually really exciting. Uh, there is some some really cool new technical ideas floating around there. And uh, so we're already working on you know uh, this generation, the next generation of that system. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited about, about those, those things also from a research point of view. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, where can people go to learn more about the Particia Blockchain Foundation, about the blockchain itself, whether they want to get technical knowledge, uh, they want to be a developer and start working with it, um, or if they want to be a part of the community, is there a place you want to direct people? Yeah, just so the website, parteziablockchain.com, it has everything there from the developers area to the resources tab with all our social links. At Partesia MPC is our uh, social media handle on all the networks. So you can just search directly as well. Um, but parteziablockchain.com has all the information. You can find white papers. Even on the resources page, we go as far to link to a bunch of the research papers published by Ivan and Jesper and Claudio. Um, there's over a thousand research papers that our teammates have been involved in in some uh, degree. So, you know, if you're really into the tech side, you can even go as far to go into some of the historical research that's been done by our teammates as well. Yes, there is also a series of blog posts you, that, that, that you can find through the webpage. It sort of goes, you know, uh, a whole series that, that, that you can sort of read in, in, in order and that, that will take you through sort of the, the basics of the technology and, and sort of how different uh, parts of it can be used. Awesome. Yeah. Are, you, are you guys online as well? Um, Ivan, I couldn't find you, but um, you guys have a LinkedIn or a place you want people to go if they want to chat with you? Well, so I, I think I think basically just contacting uh, Patricia Boxing and, and then they'll, they'll direct you to me. If, if I can help you guys. Yeah, we don't really participate much in the centralized social media giants as individuals. <laughs> uh, against, I don't blame you. It goes against our ethos. Um, but yeah, um, like Ivan said, if you go, come in the Discord, you can find us right there. So just follow our links and get in our telegrams and we're all, we're around. What about some decentralized social media? Are you guys working on that yet? We are. So it's called instars.com. Uh, it's up and running. 
Uh, it's a bit of a hybrid, but yeah, we're definitely sort of probably one of the first movers on Web3 Social and the ability to sort of post and exchange tips and the value of crypto amongst users, um, you know, making sure that there's going to be open source algorithms that determine trending so that you know that there's not, um, what do they call it, shadow banning uh, mm -hmm. going on. So eliminating shadow banning for social media protocols. Someone needs to hold these giants' feet to the fire a little bit. Uh, they've gotten away with way too much, and you know they still maintain these network effects. So it's very difficult to penetrate that and and play catch up at this stage. So it's quite a challenge for sure. Another issue is these companies lost billions of dollars before they made any dollars. Um, so for Web three social to work, it's going to be very difficult because you have to keep in mind these companies were able to convince investors to basically fund you know billions of dollars worth of money before they're able to turn a profit so you know it's going to be quite an uphill battle for web3 social to to win and a lot of people ask me why hasn't there been a big web3 social network why is instars one of the only ones we see even trying or starting the truth is they don't make money right uh, it's a loss leader for a long time so we're also trying to address that and figure out how can you sustain this through other features and services to users so that the social thing can continue to grow and not go bankrupt because you know vc crowd behind a crypto token social network it hasn't we haven't seen it yet gotcha gotcha guys if you're watching the show make sure to go check out particia and everything they are doing in building uh, make sure to like the video and subscribe um ivan brian thank you guys both for coming on the show really appreciate it. very informative learned a lot about what you guys are doing i think you guys have a fantastic uh blockchain here uh fantastic uh protocol and ecosystem and i'm excited to join your guys's community and you know keep up with everything you're doing so thank you thank you thank you brandon it's a pleasure absolutely take care talk again soon guys Bye.